Kia ora. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Guido, an engineer working from home in Wellington. We've made it into the fourth week, and I've officially started dreaming of takeout. Me too, Guido. Me too. Kia ora. I'm Indira Stewart, your host for the RNZ Coronavirus Podcast. Remember to keep sending in your messages using our RNZ Vox Pop app. It's free to download and use, and it's really simple. Later, our producer Jesse Chang looks at the impact of closed trade routes and lockdown restrictions on businesses. But first, here are the headlines. Sadly, we had two more deaths yesterday, bringing the national total to 16. One was a woman in her 60s who had an underlying health condition. She died in the intensive care unit in Dunedin Hospital. The other was a resident at Rosewood Rest Home in Christchurch. Now that man was in his 70s. The Director General of Health, Dr Ashley Bloomfield, also gave an update on the number of new cases. We have two new confirmed cases and one new probable case of COVID-19 to report. However, there is actually no change in the total number of COVID-19 cases in New Zealand, which remains at 1,451, the same as yesterday. Let me briefly explain. Uh, There were three cases we reported yesterday uh, who were confirmed cases off the Greg Mortimer ship where people had been repatriated from Uruguay. Uh, However, we understand that their original testing was done in Uruguay and we are checking with the authorities there as to whether they have already reported them to the WHO. Now, following complaints from medical professionals over PPE gear yesterday, the Health Minister David Clark has ordered a rapid stocktake of PPE distribution by district health boards. Now, he says that information will include what orders each DHB has received from service providers in the last two weeks and also when and how they've been filled. Meanwhile, the government has announced a $50 million package for the cash-strapped media sector, which includes cutting payments to New Zealand On Air and transmission fees. At least 500 jobs in the industry have gone in the last couple of months. Hundreds of other journalists have been forced to take pay cuts and holidays as advertising revenue has dried up. The government funding includes $11.1 million for specific targeted assistance. Now, the Broadcasting Minister Chris Farfoy says how that is split up will depend on conversations with each media company and also their immediate needs. But media commentator Gavin Ellis says the package favours broadcasters and newspapers have been left out in the cold. $11 million, even if all of that money went to the print media, and I don't think it is all going to the print media by any, uh, by any, any stretch of the imagination, but if all of it did... That would represent not much more than one month of print advertising revenue for NZME. So that shows you just how relatively small that amount of money is. And there appears to be nothing else in the package for print media that have been hurting very, very hard. But Chris Farfoy was quick to point out this is the first of two packages for the media. 
there are some fundamental issues about the structure and nature of uh, the media sector, which were present before COVID, that we want to make sure are addressed uh, when we take a look at the second support package. This isn't about making sure we prop up failing businesses, it's about making sure that we can support the important function of journalism in New Zealand, and I think that's what we need to make sure that we are focusing on in terms of the second package as well. And in other news, hunting is allowed under Level 3. Now that might be some good news for some of you, but as the Prime Minister explains, there are some conditions. Stay in your region, so long as you stay in your bubble, and we're asking that people please don't put themselves at risk of needing rescue. So that means don't use quad bikes, off-road motorbikes or any motorised vehicles for the purposes of, of hunting. Dock land is closed for tramping and other activities and also for hunting at level three. On private land, you'll of course need landowners' permission. So if you're a keen duck hunter, don't worry, the season is still happening just later. Duck hunting season will go ahead in the second weekend after New Zealand moves to alert level two. The season, once it gets underway, will be extended to make up for the delay. I know this will be disappointing for many, but we recognise that opening weekend is quite a social event for many people, and we still must reduce down our contact at level three as much as possible. This decision means all those who usually take part in duck hunting will be able to, just on a slightly different time frame than otherwise. I also want to be clear that hunting will be able to resume normally at level two, once we get there. Just today is not that day. Instead, it's Anzac Day tomorrow. Police Commissioner Andy Costa says the long holiday is not a time to be complacent over the level four rules. He says the police have made 477 prosecutions since the start of the lockdown and received more than 55,000 reports of breaches from the public. Similar to what has happened over Easter, police will be highly visible in communities over Anzac weekend and this will include operating road checkpoints, making sure people are safe and complying with the COVID-19 alert level 4 restrictions. Any travel over Anzac weekend should be for essential purposes only. If you are planning to travel to your beach or visit friends or family, you need to change your plans and stay home. And while you're at home, Jacinda Ardern is urging all New Zealanders to commemorate Anzac Day. The RSA has encouraged all of us to commemorate our service personnel by standing at the end of our driveways or near our letterboxes at 6am to stand at dawn. I know how hard it will be this year, our first Anzac Day in history, where services have been cancelled due to COVID-19. But that doesn't mean we can't show our support as a collective. As dawn breaks, we can stand at the end of those driveways and together in silent and pay tribute to those we should never forget. We can still take time to pause, reflect and pay our respects to the people who have given so much to us. Now, our producer Jesse Chang has been looking at the impact of closed trade routes and also lockdown restrictions on businesses. As countries across the world have retreated into their own bubbles and cut off access to each other, trade has plummeted. I'm Jesse Chang, one of the producers for the RNZ Coronavirus podcast. And today I'm looking at how trade for New Zealand businesses has been affected by the lockdown. There are two problems at play here. 
The first is that under level four, many New Zealand exporters haven't been allowed to operate. More on that later. The second is trade routes. Cancelled flights and closed borders have caused chaos for businesses trying to move goods around. Paula Petrie manages the Australasian branch of the clothing brand Merino Kids, which was founded in New Zealand 17 years ago. She says the lockdown has been a roller coaster. End of February, beginning of March is the time that we usually take all of our winter stock over from India over into New Zealand. And that's for our Australasian winter Australasian market. So we were getting ready to receive that product and we had that coming over on air freight and we kept hearing that this product was getting bounced around different airports throughout Asia, which was starting to get a little bit worrying. And then all of a sudden, by middle of March, it just wasn't moving and it, it, it got held up in Manila. So, um, and then from that point on, the world was just going into this massive close down, as you're aware. We were really worried by that point. Um, and we were trying every possible option, you know, changing it onto another airline, changing it to another cargo flight, changing it um, onto perhaps trying to get it onto sea shipment. But there was just nothing, nothing was moving. And Manila was, you know, the Philippines were locking down. Um, we also looked at going back to the factory in India and saying, can you make more product for us? But time was running out, you know, we've got winter market about to hit and this stuff was just, just not moving. And then all of a sudden, of course, New Zealand went into lockdown and, and that was that, you know, we just, we, we couldn't find any way to get this product here. So it, it, we were getting really hot under the collar. How close did you guys get to considering shutting down? Well, I guess when um, New Zealand went into lockdown, which I kind of, you know, when we got that first sort of update on the Monday to say that we're into level three, we're going to level four, our own store here in New Zealand, that obviously had to close all of our business to business channels, um, you know, up to all of our dear stock is shut overnight as well. And so that whole revenue stream was just done. There was nothing there. Um, we obviously went out and we sought advice everywhere we could. We chatted up our landlord for rent reprieve, which was great. He, he, he was good to us. We cut every possible cost we could in the business. And of course, we, we grabbed the wage subsidy just to be sure that we could protect our team for the next 12 weeks. So I guess that initial stage of, oh goodness, you know, that's all we can do about the closures. But in the back of our minds, well, I guess forefront of our minds, rather, we were thinking, well, that's all fine, we can close, but at some point we are going to need stock. And um, we could see orders were coming through our websites. Um, and then, of course, we were re relieved and grateful when we did manage to get essential product status under the baby warmth and well-being ca uh, category from MBI. So that was about two weeks ago. So that meant that we could still fill orders, but of course our inventory was just now at this critically low level because we couldn't get our winter stock. And all these stories were emerging daily of international supply chains being in, in tatters for months, if not years ahead. So that's when you know the reality there was really kicking in was well, if we don't have stock, you know, business 101, we can get all the financial support we can from banks and government, um, but in the end of the day, if you don't have stock, you don't have a business. Ms Petrie says they only had about three weeks of stock left, but then a glimmer of hope. Ms Petrie found out about a rescue flight organised by the government to evacuate New Zealanders from the Philippines. 
I um, got in touch with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and I literally pleaded um, with a wonderful man by the name of Niels Meinhardt to see if there was any possible way that we could get the product that we had in Manila um, into the hold of one of those Mercy flights that was coming back. And he worked tirelessly for 24 hours for us and pulled in all his amazing contacts and stops and he he managed to get that stock on the plane. Now, Paula Petrie says she wants to look at ways to firm up her supply chain. She says all their Merino stocks used to be made in New Zealand. But competition offshore around manufacturing meant that New Zealand just couldn't compete in, in skill or in pricing around that space. But, you know, I do wonder if it's time now that we need to revisit this, you know, and look at what we could be doing here in New Zealand. So I am actively looking to see if manufacturing can be brought home. And, you know, that could be a pretty exciting opportunity for New Zealand industry and for the Merino Kids brand for the future. And she has advice for anyone in a similar situation with stock stuck overseas. Oh, look, dogged determination. I was not letting this go. I I heard about that flight and I, come hell or high water, I was going to get that, you know, even a part of my shipment I was going to try and get on that flight. You know, I, I had to get it here to ensure I, our business could, could continue operating. I had to get stock here. There was just no doubt. Honestly, I'd, I'd thought of all sorts, hiring a, a boat and... <laughs> taking myself over there to get it look there's going to be there's going to be businesses that just get so badly stuck they can't get anything and I really really feel for them but any 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 opening just follow it up and push and push and push other businesses haven't been as lucky particularly those exporters who haven't been classified as essential services Charles Finney has worked in the trade sector for 40 years in the government and also as a private consultant. He says export manufacturers should have been allowed to work under level four, and definitely if the country is to return to that level. Mr Finney says those in the industry currently closed down bring in $9 billion a year. I asked him exactly what kind of companies should be open. I'm talking about machinery, both mechanical and electrical machinery. I'm talking about uh, medical equipment. I'm talking about wood pulp, paper, iron and steel, wool, plastic products, textiles, paper and paperboard and uh, vehicle parts, all of which actually are quite significant industries in New Zealand and all of which have been shut down either fully or partially. Uh, by the lockdown, move to level four. Why is it so important for New Zealand for these manufacturing companies to stay open during all levels? They're actually quite a significant um, part of our export economy, probably about the same size as our tourism sector, and we're all very concerned about the impact the closure of international tourism is having um, on our economy. But they um, also play a very important role in the supply chain, and that is that they create sufficient demand for space on container ships that we have very good services um, operating to New Zealand, more than would uh, be the case if we're just uh, relying on agricultural uh, food and beverage products. 
So without that extra production there, there would be a risk that shipping lines would begin to cut services to New Zealand, and we don't want that. Do you have confidence that, you know, if, if they were to operate under Level 4, they could do so safely? You know, I think a lot of these companies actually already are really uh, focused on health and safety and have very good systems in place by doing things such as enforcing a two-metre distance between staff, by staggering coffee and, and, and uh, meal breaks, by arranging multiple shifts, they, they can um, operate very safely while minimising the risk of the spread of um, the COVID-19 disease. It's probably actually easier for a number of these um, non-agricultural manufacturers to implement such a policy than uh, some of the agricultural processes that have been allowed to uh, continue throughout this period. So I, I'd be very confident that most can operate very safely. Obviously, if they cannot, then they shouldn't be allowed to open. Charles Finney has presented a 10-point plan to the government to help boost and restart trade for New Zealand businesses. Those points include things like looking specifically at the Māori economy, diversifying markets and finalising free trade agreements, particularly with the UK. But Mr Finney also suggests New Zealand should open up its borders and extend its bubble to other countries in order to revive our tourism sector. I'm only thinking of those jurisdictions that have done as well as New Zealand. And I don't think that anyone is going to be quite in that category um, quite yet and um, have reduced the uh, risk of uh, infecting New Zealand to the extent necessary for us to be um, opening the border anytime soon. But I could see a situation maybe in three months, six months, where uh, we are satisfied that the level of um, risk from, say, Australia is so low that we can create a trans-Tasman bubble. Taiwan's done extremely well. It's got a much lower level of cases than New Zealand, um, which is incredible given its, uh, its position. They, they really have got very rigorous systems in place. Singapore is another possibility that they're going through a, um, a second wave of infection right now. Uh, South Korea, the Republic of Korea, I think had no cases today. They're getting on top of this as well. So there are a number of candidates there that you can have confidence in their health systems. You can have confidence in their statistics. And if their numbers have been uh, low for quite a period, I would hope that we um, can um, reopen our border to those countries because our tourism sector is going to be in enormous trouble uh, if we do not. But obviously, we can't open the border um, if there's um, a risk that we're going to re-import large numbers of cases of um, COVID-19. So it'll be a careful balancing act. But I can, I'm very confident that we could do something similar to what I am describing within a few months. But it's not something that I believe that will be happening uh, in the short term. How likely do you think the government will take something like that on, though? Because realistically... In doing so, we'd be forming a bubble between all these different countries and you'd have to trust that those other countries aren't letting in 
other people. Yeah, and 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 it would obviously only um, be workable if if there was a rigorous approach identical or very similar to ours. I'm very confident Australia will actually be in a very similar policy space to New Zealand. So I'm quite confident that there will be work done on a um, Australia-New Zealand bubble relatively soon. In fact, yeah, there are significant political players in both Australia and New Zealand talking about it. So I'm, I'm speaking with great confidence that it's being thought about. It becomes more complicated when we move to other jurisdictions, but uh, I um, would not rule out the possibility of uh, Taiwan or Singapore or Korea being um, on that list uh, in due course. They're all free trade agreement partners with New Zealand. We, I think, can have absolute confidence in their health systems and also their statistics. Because Charles Finney says... It's just not looking good for trade overall. We last had a, a major contraction in international trade as a result of the global financial crisis 2008-2009. International trade didn't start growing again until about 2016, 2017. It took a long time to recover. Wow, that and is a long I'm, time. I'm a bit worried that something similar will be uh, happening here. Again, I hope I'm wrong, but there's real risk there. And we need to be, um, as a trade-focused economy, focused on, on the risk. Luckily, New Zealand's trade did grow over that period. We did better than most, and hopefully we can do the same again this time around. That's trade expert Charles Finney finishing off that report by our producer, Jesse Chang. Now, Radio New Zealand is broadcasting an Anzac Day service tomorrow with coverage starting at 5.50 in the morning. The official service starts at 6. So tune in to 101FM or our live stream on the RNZ website. And like the Prime Minister, we encourage you to take part in the Stand at Dawn initiative. So stand at your letterbox, at the front door, on your balcony or even in your driveway. Stay in your bubble though. But wherever you are in the world, stand with us and take a moment to remember. Kia ho maru, kia kaha, he wiki pai rawa. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang and Sonia Sly. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere. And the best part, it's free. Just go to the podcasts and series page at rnz.co.nz. Thank you.